our hearts. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're addressing our last of five affirmations today in order to learn how to have hard conversations in this, this world right now. We're, we're not interested in compromising our beliefs, um, our convictions, our values as Bible-believing Christians, but we do want to uh, communicate them well. We don't want to be the stumbling block for someone. We want to present Jesus as best we can to people. We asked ourselves in the very first sermon, um, are we reflecting or overcoming the division that we see in society right now? And uh, we remember that Jesus prayed for our unity um, and that you know we recognize that thought is the defining factor of unity. Uh, with Jesus, with his body in the church and things like that. Our first affirmation was that God has all truth, but we don't have a perfect understanding of truth, right? Um, that we shouldn't be afraid of having strong convictions and beliefs and values, but we've got to couple that with like a real humbling knowledge that, that we can be wrong in the murky waters of personal opinion, especially on all these hot topics that are out there today. Secondly, we said that being loving is as important as being right, um, that we, we do need to pursue um, correct thinking, correct theology in, our, in how we express and live, um, but we need to do that in a very loving, loving way, you know? And uh, we, we said that we love truthfully, we truthfully love, and that love without truth lies, and truth without love kills. If you remember those, I love those statements. Our third affirmation was that the Spirit can create unity where it once seemed impossible. We've all been in those situations where we, we didn't think it could work out, but it, it, God can do amazing things and miraculous things in our communities. Um, our fourth affirmation was that we, and this was last week, that we find our identity in Christ and not in culture, not in uh, 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 the clutter of life, you know, the belongings and finances and stuff like that, and not in our pet causes. Um, and, and we end this series today with our final affirmation, and that, that is that we choose to accept that we live in the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. That it is, we live in this in-between time of the kingdom of God where the kingdom has come, but it has not yet fully come. It's not yet been fully established. It will be when, upon Christ's return. Um, and we're looking today at John chapter 4, one verse, verse 23. Uh, turn to page 726 in your church Bibles. They're right there in front of you on the, on the chair in front of you. Um, this is the story of Jesus um, meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. It's a very familiar story. And if you remember it, um, she's a Samaritan woman who's there in the middle of the day drawing water at this well. And Jesus comes along and he sits down and he has a conversation with her. He He asks her for a drink and they start talking about water and worship and her relationship status on Tinder. Just making sure you're awake. Um, But yeah, like how, like her relationship status, they they talk about that. And then it ends with Jesus revealing to her um, that he is the Messiah. And it's a very significant point in that story, and you'll know why in a minute. Um, But towards the end of their conversation in verse 23 of chapter 4, It says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in in spirit and truth. A time is coming and has now come. Now, it's necessary for us to understand some things about uh, Samaritans to begin with. Uh, Samaritan belief 
demonstrated both an affinity and a divergency with Judaism. Like Judaism, they, uh, they really had a strong monotheistic belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, however, they elevated Mount Gerizim as the, in the north as the only place uh, for sacrifices and things like that based on some, some divergent passages in Deuteronomy and Exodus in the Samaritan text. And Mount Gerizim, for them, came to be the center of many errant beliefs as a result. And that's part of what he, he talks with her about. And the Samaritans held only the, that the first five books, the Pentateuch, the, only the first five books of the Old Testament uh, were inspired by God. They didn't believe the rest was inspired by God. They based all of their dogma and all of their practice exclusively on those five books. And this truncated list of scripture, or view of scripture, determined the direction of Samaritan theology and thinking about who God is and who people are and what life is supposed to be like and all that kind of stuff, because our theology di- directs our lives, right? And, um, and, and it separated them from contemporary Jewish thought. And we remember, as we've said in past sermons, that the uh, thought is the defining factor of unity. They can't have unity with all the rest of them in Judaism because of this. Um, the messianic hope, hope in, uh, uh, of Samaritan theology reflected this limited view of Scripture as well because uh, the, a Messiah from the Davidic line, the house of David, couldn't be anticipated as there was no evidence of that in the Pentateuch for it, right? So uh, rather, Samaritans were awaiting a prophet like Moses, they would say, based on Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, that he would, he would be designated the restorer, and they had this belief that he would come and he would restore proper worship on Mount Gerizim. So there's this center of worship for them. Um, so the, Mar- the Samaritans were a sect, right, with roots in Judaism, but they were divergent due to Israel's defeat by Assyria in 722 BC. And at that time, they had been mixed with foreign peoples. And subsequently, they, they, their foreign religious practices, you know, worship of probably Baal and Molech and things like that, and Ashtoreth and things like that, which were very um, sexually deviant practices. And uh, they, 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 uh, that made their worship sort of an underlying veneer for idolatry. So to be clear, they had this limited view of Scripture, one, and then they had taken on the errant beliefs and practices of the surrounding culture with them. And so what they are for us is this living image of what we see now in some Christians who truncate the Scriptures to accommodate a cultural narrative which is contradictory to what God calls his church to. They pick, they choose what they believe to be truth, disregarding the whole counsel of the scriptures. And we need the whole counsel of God's word, right? And this was her world. This is where she's coming from, right? You know, one of limited scriptural knowledge where religion was a mask for errant beliefs and, and practices. And, and it's evidenced in her deviant sexual lifestyle. It just is. Since when we're no longer governed by, by God's full counsel, by God's full word, um, by, by, by his spirit, by, by the faith community, um, that's one of the first things in life that gets twisted is our sexuality, right? Jesus challenged both her understanding of scriptural truth 
and her lifestyle as a result of that conversation. You've got to understand that. Very important. Warren Wearsby said that among other things in this passage, Jesus gently reveals this woman's spiritual ignorance, that she did not know who to worship, where to worship, or how to worship, right? That Jesus made clear to her that all religions are not acceptable before God, that some worshipers actually are worshiping in ignorance and unbelief, and they are missing the boat, kind of, so to speak. So Jesus was leading her to an understanding that knowledge of God and salvation originated with the Jews and that he himself was the absolute fulfillment. He was the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Hebrew scriptures in their entirety. The Messiah, the living water of life, standing there next to the well with her. The truth and spirit, that truth and spirit are paramount, paramount for anyone who desires to know and to truly follow God. And that this makes a difference in how we live and the choices we make, especially in our sexual relationships. That's, it does. And it's all throughout Scripture. So that's the background. That's the background. But notice the tension. In that first line of Jesus' statement, a time is coming and has now come. They seem like kind of weird, contradictory statements, right? Um, there's a tension there. We live in this tension. Uh, the questions for us right now this morning are, when will everything be put right? When will everything be put right? Because it doesn't seem right out there right now, right? When will worship be full-throated? Isn't that a great term? I love that term, full-throated worship, right? When will worship be full-throated in spirit and in truth? When will all be as it should be, right? And the answer is a both-and statement. It's a both-and statement. Things will be made right in the future, this is for sure, on the day that God will make all things new. As Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Amen to that, right? Now turn to page 848 in your church Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look at the first five verses. Um, Page 848, Revelation chapter 21. And here we see this greater clarity of this renewal, right? And it's, it's speaking about this new heaven and new earth. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I want to do a study on that line. There was no longer any sea. Isn't that kind of an interesting statement? Anyway, I, I digress. But verse 2, uh, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, I want you to notice the marital language. The language of sexuality is all throughout the scriptures. There is, the proper sexuality is imaged in our relationship with God all throughout the scriptures. Number three, verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. That sounds good, right? There will be no more death 
or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated, who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We know who that is. Amen. Thank you. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Trustworthy and true. Trustworthy, true, hopeful words concerning the future of all of creation. Not just us. All wrongs righted, justice reigns, death a memory, salvation to everyone who would receive Jesus. Amen. And this future hope begins now, also now, in and through the ministry of Jesus by way of his church, by way of his people. We're all aware, we're all painfully aware that the world isn't as right, right as of now, right? But things are happening. Things are happening, uh, you know, across the globe as a result of the ministry of Jesus. Tears are being wiped away. Pain is being alleviated. Mourning's being, you know, silenced across the world. And death is being overcome. Uh, Chuck and Christy are probably going to go visit the halls in Morocco in their ministry there uh, in April. We're, we want to send them out. We want to, I mean, honestly, get your checkbooks ready. We want to we pay for that trip for them because we want to be a part of that. We want to ble- have that blessing, too, of sending them over there. And they're going to hear those stories directly from Morocco, how people are coming to Christ. That's pretty cool, right? Um, it is happening. In Luke 7, Jesus instructed the disciples of John the Baptist. He said, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Now, this is pre-crucifixion, right? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It's what we all want. And it not only happened before the cross, but much more so after the cross, after the resurrection, right? Turn to page 722 in your church Bibles to Luke 24. We're going to spend a few minutes here. Uh, This is where two men are confronted with the resurrected Christ on the road to Emmaus, if you remember that story. And they were sort of confused uh, about the events surrounding Jesus. They they expressed a hopelessness at, at his death. They didn't really get that, that that was him and all their dreams of this great messiah that was going to restore everything died when jesus died on that cross and they didn't know that he had been resurrected and they, but at that moment he gives them hope you know in the now in that moment by revealing himself as resurrected right and and it says in verse 27 and beginning with moses and the and all the prophets He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He used scripture. Notice, Jesus proclaims truth about himself from all of the scriptures. And the result was that these guys are overjoyed as they skip off, you know, and they they say, didn't our hearts burn within our chest when he spoke? There's something profoundly powerful about this, the, the word of God in our hearts. And he reveals himself to his disciples then, if you remember, and they're all kind of taken aback by this. And so in Luke, go down a few verses to verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. 
Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. I remember the day that God opened my mind to understand the scriptures. Things changed over, like just in a split second, things changed. It was so different, but it took me reading them to get there, right? He told them in verse 46, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to where? To all nations, all people groups, right? Across the world, beginning right there in Jerusalem, it says, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Amen. Amen. Things are changing, right? John's gospel tells us the purpose of all this. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. This is after his resurrection, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. Why? Why do we get these things? Why do we have this stuff written down? Why is it given to us in this this form of of, of the Bible? He says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Amen. And we know the promised Holy Spirit came at Pentecost from the book of Acts and all the resulting miraculous signs from that. You know, all those stories, Acts outlines, you know, ad nauseum about how people coming to Christ in droves, right? And the disciples willingly giving their lives for this gospel message. It was amazing. In Acts 8, we have the story of the eunuch from Ethiopia converted by by Philip uh, again, uh, Philip shares from the scriptures to this guy right on the side of the road and he goes away rejoicing. And I don't know if you know, but as history has it, we can't be totally positive about this, but people say he went back and became a bishop in, in his area where he was from and uh, a, a major leader in the church leading people to Christ for years to come after that. And ever since, ever since all this happened, hearts have been finding freedom. And the world's been changing through this gospel. Good news, hope, hope. It's a great word, isn't it? Hope. It's happening right now. And it's moving to a future fulfillment. And by the way, I I, I are a college student and I believe this stuff. I believe Christ will return and remake. Everything will be new. And all those things will be in the past. As Philippians 1.6 states, and we've heard it before, Christ is carrying us on to completion until the day of his final return, until the day of Christ Jesus. But sometimes we are tempted in moments of despair to only hold on to the first part of Jesus' statement. A time is coming. A time is coming. We, may, we might say to ourselves, I give up all hope for unity and peace and justice now. I give up hope for all that. He's just going to have to come back and fix everything, right? And we throw up our hands in despair because it seems to us that it's not really happening right around us in the moment. It's not being achieved. 
But that's not where the Christian lives. That's not where the Christian lives. That's not what we choose. We choose as believers holding on to the promises of God, we choose not to live in despair. We may feel it at times, but we don't choose to live there. As 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10 tells us, we are hard pressed on every side. Don't you feel that? I feel it. I am hard pressed on every every side, but I am not crushed. I am perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I am persecuted, but I am not abandoned. He's walking with me right here. I've gained 30 pounds this year. I'm telling everybody I'm just making my house bigger for the Holy Spirit to live in. <laughs> a big belly is not a bad thing. You can drive your car while you eat your hamburger and, your, and drink your Coke. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just outdid Joe. Um, but, but we are struck down, but we are not destroyed, it says. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Amen to that. There is something extremely resilient about the Christian worldview, about the Christian due to the hope of Christ in us. Something extremely resilient. we've, We've profound reason for our suffering. It's not hopeless. Evil doesn't have the last word in my life. No way. No way. And it's not because I fight really well. It's because of what he has done. Despair doesn't completely cover me. Or you. We know the end of the story. We read the last chapter of the book already. Amen, right? As well as all the possibilities of the inbreaking kingdom of God power right now. We know what Jesus can do. I was watching a documentary recently where a Christian woman, uh, uh, her son had been murdered and she was obviously pained by this and she expressed her emotion about that and it was very normal and good, but um, she expressed both also forgiveness for the killer Not a blind, stupid, oh, I forgive you and I'll do anything to make you happy forgiveness. That's not, she was like, I forgive him. I need to forgive him. I need to release this. And I need him to know that. Really good forgiveness. But she also expressed a future hope as a result of Christ, even when she didn't see the justice she sought in the moment. The killer was never really brought to justice. But she knew, she knew from her solid faith in Christ, from her knowledge of the scriptures, that this wasn't the end of the story. She would see her son again, right? She would see him again. And she chose to believe all those promises of God and it made all the difference to her. The simple concept of hope can overcome even the worst of circumstances in our lives. Amen. We don't always understand. I don't always understand. Maybe people look at me as, oh, the pastor will get it. No, I don't always get it. We don't always understand the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in, but we wage it in hope nonetheless. We don't always understand God's reasons for not, you know, answering something in the moment uh but and hindsight's off often 2020 right 
We may not see an answer or a reasoning for something that we're experiencing now, a hardship we're experiencing now for another 10 years, maybe even never. But we trust God's intentions. We trust God's promises. At other times, both in moments of triumph and in moments of particular frustration, we are tempted to only hold on to the second part of Jesus' statement. It has now come. It has now come. And in our humanistic reasoning, it all has to happen right now. That's a frustrated person. It all has to happen right now. And if it doesn't, we fight harder, we get more angry, we get more bitter. We rage in frustration that all isn't as it should be or that the church isn't as unified as, it, as, it, as we wish it to be. Some of us allow ourselves to be taken away in anger or bitterness uh, because not all injustices, all the injustices of the world seem to be achieved right now. We begin to blame others. We begin to, begin to blame God even. Even though we have no, nothing close to His understanding of the world and history and where we're going and what needs to happen, we don't know any of that. We're willing to take the blessings, but not the suffering for his glory and his mission. But that's promised. That's promised as well. For instance, Jesus said very clearly, the poor you will always have with you in Matthew 26, 11. But we think it's our job to eradicate poverty right now. I, I want that. I don't want p- people poor. I don't. But if it goes unresolved, we end up vilifying other people, although it's really sin, which is the true culprit. And it's not those people. And it's not even the evil systems. All those those things need to be addressed. Poverty will always be an issue in the world because sin has not been fully dealt with since people still live in sin. We expect godliness from those who don't yet know christ rich and poor alike that's not an expectation that we can demand from a non-believer they don't have the same worldview they don't have the same power of the spirit in their lives they don't have the same scriptures that they're reading our job is to proclaim jesus Proclaim Jesus while endeavoring to help in very practical ways by doing the work for God's glory and God's mission always. But remember, maturity, Christian maturity, lives with both halves of Jesus' statement. There's a day coming of new creation, perfect unity, peace and justice and forgiveness and wholeness and all that, the whole kit and caboodle, through Jesus, that day has already begun. Mature Christians, though, know their limits. And unlike the woman at the well, we know who, where, and how to worship. Especially with Vinnie Leiden. Amen. Amen to that. Right? We know who, how, and where to worship. We really do. We stand on truth, as Jesus and the disciples did. 
Always. We understand that our culture and even our own hearts can't be trusted to lead us well, that we need the Scriptures, we need the Holy Spirit, and we need the church in our lives. If we're to live maturely, we need those three things. If we're going to, if we're going to live maturity, maturely with proper concern for others, the world out there, all the nations, all the people groups, and with a great sense of hope and a great sense of joy and even a great sense of humor about who we really are. A Christian can laugh at themselves, right? The dawn is hinting on the horizon. The kingdom has come, but it's not yet fully come. So the dawn is hinting on the horizon, and that first light doesn't lead us to despair because it's not fully daytime yet. Rather, it encourages us to journey on in the knowledge that the day will emerge fully in the light of Christ. He will flood the world and darkness will be gone. So do we give up now? Do we just let evil win and hope for the best in the end when Jesus returns? Of course not. Of course not. Kingdom people are hopeful people even in the most difficult of circumstances. For instance, the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Imagine how you would have felt if you were a disciple when, when Jesus was crucified. Probably very hopeless at first. But they had not been listening. They would not been listening, which has been Israel's problem from the very beginning. They would not been listening fully to Jesus. If they had, they would have heard him say in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the Scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Our God shows power and faithfulness to win the day. And we persevere, we work for the kingdom of God, and we never, never, never give up. You can choose to be hopeful despite your circumstances and your feelings. You can choose that. You can make the decision to believe God, to hold on to His promises despite how you feel, and it makes all the difference. Which is why it's really important for us to be in the Word on a regular basis. Right? Receiving it with an open heart. Being the good soil. If you remember that parable, letting God's word flower in you. Not fighting against it. Not questioning it as ad nauseum, right? So abandon your skepticism. Leave it. You don't need it. It's not intellectual. It's silly. Pray for a soft, open heart. And receive the word and believe truth. Secondly, we can ask God for, uh, for eyes to see the struggle in a very different way, in a new way. So many people, you know, at times ask Jesus to choose for or against when it came to social, political, or religious issues, whether in regard to, you know, Jewish law or Roman taxation or whatever it was. But Jesus seemed to have this weird, uncanny ability to perceive situations in a way that other people just had never previously thought. 
in Christ, we've been gifted with the Holy Spirit as guide and counselor, right? We, we have. We're, we are promised a, a steady flow of wisdom as a result of the indwelling Spirit of God. All we need to do is ask for it. It is a relationship, right? So develop the spiritual habit of daily Bible study and interaction with the Spirit of God to navigate all the issues that are thrown at you because you are being bombarded with them, aren't you? Get more deeply connected in fellowship with others and uh, explore these things together. Third, believe in the actual power of prayer. Go to, go to Rachel and uh, Christine's community group and learn how to pray. Right? Believe in the actual power of prayer. Prayer isn't the last-ditch effort when you don't know what else to do. That's not what it is. Jesus knew how hard unity would be for us, and that's why he prayed for us to have it. Avoid the habit of being a foxhole prayer. Right? When you only pray when it's rough, but then you like, forget about God all the rest of the time. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 urges us to rejoice always Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Make that your go-to habit and see what God will do in you. I think he'll do a great deal. And fourthly and finally, realize that we do have answers of hope. And there's nothing arrogant about that. It's hopeful, right? Answers for ourselves and answers for other people. Answers, answers, answers. These are hard conversations that we're in these days, right? Take every thought captive to Christ, trusting and standing on truth, right? Practice Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be renewed in your mind by the word of God. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. You know, it would be irresponsible for us as Christians to lead people into more confusion, more doubt, or more hopelessness. But that's where everybody's going. Our culture elevates doubt and and skepticism to the level of value. If you're not like skeptical and looking at everything with a crooked eye, you're an idiot. It's not very useful. It wouldn't be helpful for us to to mirror that in our culture. We can't leave people with unresolved tension when they need and we have answers which bring hope in Christ. We are called to give those answers. We want people to wrestle with Jesus definitely and what he means to them, but he calls us to proclaim very clearly the gospel to all nations. Anybody around us that needs that is willing to hear it. We need also to give answers. Not just ask questions. He and the disciples did that, right? Which is necessary for a soul to grasp hold of what the gospel means to them. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ, the truth of the scriptures about who Jesus is. Right? Solid foundational truth derived from scripture is sort of the steering wheel that in our hands to steer the, the, the car... Uh, in our spiritual formation, and in our witness to other people. You know, he had revealed to the Samaritan woman um, that she didn't know who, where, or how to worship. He revealed that to her. Then he revealed himself as the answer to all of those questions. 
A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So we endeavor here at 6-8 to be full-throated now, right now, in our worship in spirit and truth. That's what we want. Hoping that for that future day when, when He'll have wiped every tear from the eyes of all peoples, when there will be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain since the old order of things has passed away. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let me pray for us as we come to the, the uh, communion table this morning. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you so much for your gospel truth, so much that you took the time to scribble all this down for us. You took the time to work through people to, to um, reveal to us who you are and what you are to us and to the world. We thank you for our salvation. We, we, we stand in gratitude of that. And we don't want to hold that gift to ourselves. We don't want to squeeze it tight to our chest, never showing it to anybody else. We want to hold that with open hands out in front of us to everybody around us. And we are in a tough time. These conversations that we are having in society right now are difficult. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. You would put a steel rod up our spine. That you would make us holy about who you are. That we would push away. We would not be duped into all the arguments, but we would actually just be communicating who you are, what you've been to us and what you can be to other people. And we thank you for that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are going to hear from Joe in just a second. But we are going to come to the... the